Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Coming to you from fabulous Las Vegas. The right side is the winning side. The late move is the correct move. Sports betting capital of the world. We all know when a sharp like me weighs in, the lines move. It's a party for your ears. (laughs) This is The Buffet with Chad and Scooch. I want to buy that guy a buffet. All right, we are back. The Buffet Podcast with Chad and Scooch from the Action Network. And the good news is that Scooch is back this week. And we have a loaded – I already hear you laughing, Scooch. Yeah. We have a, we have a loaded show. Later on in the show, uh, four-time all-star catcher Paul LaDuca, new contributor to the Action Network. Uh, nine-year NFL vet Jeff Schwartz, also new contributor to the Action Network. They're coming on. They had stories this week talking about NFL win totals, Major League Baseball win totals. Um, We're going to talk about what happens to athletes if gambling becomes legal and what they think of that, what the conversation is in the locker room. Uh, Last week, I was in Vegas. Mike Grinnell, producer extraordinaire, was in Vegas. He went to a club. Uh, He made some very big mistakes. He's going to talk about that on the podcast. Scooch and I will run down the Sweet 16, but before we do any of that, Stucky is on the call, and Stucky had a story that we posted yesterday that he's going to explain that leads to the most classic executive decision necessary uh, that we've ever had on the Buffet podcast. Stuck, you're there. Take it away, brother. Tell us about this story, which, by the way, people are like – people think it's an amazing story or they think it's a it's – a, tragedy beyond epic proportions and you're purporting a myth just to get page views uh tell us the story yeah the, the i love those people that say it's fake i mean i most of my followers have been following the story for years i've been tweeting about it for like six seven years every time a 16 seat played <clears throat> um but mo- ma- mainly those people are the ones that don't follow me and um so anyway, the the story goes like this. Back in college, I went to George Washington University in D.C. Back in 2007, in April, after the tournament, I went to the bar just to meet a friend who's an avid gambler like myself. Um, so this isn't just like, hey, I bet you this. Um, and we started talking about 16 seeds and we got in an argument. And I said, I think a 16 seed is going to win sooner rather than later. He said it's never going to happen. The argument kept going back and forth. So I said, look, I'll bet you $10,000 that 
a 16 seed will win by the year 2020. And he said, you're on. Now, it might sound like an aggressive amount for college kids, but you got to remember, this is like a 13-year bet. And we're also avid gamblers. We bet almost every day all through college. So, you know, we kept in touch for a few years. And actually, it was funny because some people are like, well, it's just a drunk bet. Well, yeah, we were drinking, but we talked about this all the time during March. So we graduated. We kept in touch about it. The first couple of years, 16 seeds really never even came close. And then we really lost touch. I don't even know his number anymore. I haven't talked to him in six, seven years. I don't do the whole Facebook, Instagram thing. I have no idea what he's up to. So we, we really didn't talk about it anymore. But it was something that I still followed. And coming into this year, I was, you know, I always got, I still got excited when the 16 versus one matchups were revealed. I said, wow, Penn has an actual shot. And I thought this year, more than any, it could happen. Well, Penn, you know, went up double digits, but eventually collapsed. And then, you know, the last 16-1 game was UMBC, Virginia, and it happened out of nowhere. And it happened in, it was almost anticlimactic in a way. So then I realized, oh, I, I won my bet. I was like, well, but I kind of don't know what to do about it because what I feel bad like I haven't talked, we haven't talked in six, seven years. Like, what do you do? Do you call him and say, "Hey, I know I haven't talked to you in six, seven years, but do you have that ten thousand dollars from that bet we made eleven years ago?" <laughs> like, that's, that's a little messed up. Plus, I don't know wh- where he's at in life. Like, I mean, I went to, you know, he was a finance major like myself, and so if he's on like Wall Street killing it, I wouldn't feel bad. But you know, if he's struggling and he just had a kid, I would, I would feel bad. So. I don't even know how, uh, you know, I still haven't even reached out or even tried to. I got to, I think I'm just going to reach out and be like, hey, I hope all is well. Don't worry about it and see what he does. Because ultimately, if I had a, you know, if I could simulate in an all, you know, parallel universe, if a 16 seed never won and we got the 2020 and he reached out and said, do you have that 10,000? If I knew he would do that, then I would feel better about doing it. The other thing is, is that I, if we actually kept in touch the whole time, I knew when the bet, you know, was going to end. This could have happened at any time, and it did, which makes me feel worse about it. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of the dilemma of the whole story. Um, is I won, but like I'm like I don't know how I'm going to actually collect on this. All right. So number one, do you want to say the guy's name? Because there's a very good chance he follows you on Twitter. He listens to the podcast. He might be a subscriber to the Action Network and have seen your story. Do you want to say his name? Because maybe he'll reach out to you. Maybe like if you put it in, my mom is like very big into karma, right? She's very big into if you say something out loud, then you have let the universe know of your intentions and something may happen. Like my parents are divorced and my mom, you know, maybe she's ready to date even though they got divorced 25 years ago. So she's like, this year she said, I'm ready to date. I'm going to tell the universe I'm ready to date. And, uh, you know, she's hoping that, you know, someone might call her even though she doesn't actually meet anybody. That's the kind of thing that I'm living with. So maybe you want to say, hey, uh, his name and maybe he'll get reach out to you. Well, I mean, I don't. I I would rather not give out his info, but he would know who I am. He knows that I'm stucky. And if he read the story, he would, I mean, he clearly knew, he would clearly know. Um, His first name is Brian. I will say that, but the, he would know. I mean, he knows who I am on Twitter and I I don't think he, back when I first started Twitter, I know he didn't have a Twitter. Um, 
So if he does have a Twitter, I don't know about it, but he would know as soon as he saw the story. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things at play. And it wasn't just a fi- like I get when people say it was a one off thing. You just said it. And then you're supposed to, you know, if you're in a bar with your buddy and you say this team's never going to win the Super Bowl, I bet you one hundred thousand dollars. And then you bet it. And then but that's that's it. And then if it happens 20 years later, you don't do anything about it. But this is something that we would, you know, kind of rib each other about, you know, for the first couple marches after the bets. It was it was a known carryover effect. Scooch, what do you think? Yeah. Here? Well, I've got a question for Stucky. Let's let, let here's a hypothetical. It's 2020. The tournament just ended. No 16 seeds upset at any number one seeds. Would you be trying to reach out to find out where he's at to give him the ten thousand dollars? No, but I hundred percent no. Um, but I would, you know, I wouldn't actively go find him if he did reach out to me. Yes, I would be prepared to pay him and would gladly pay him. Um, so that's the that's the dilemma. Is he waiting waiting for me? Is he does he for, has he forgotten about it? Uh, I, I don't think he would have, but. Um, I would probably. I don't expect him to actively reach out to me. Um, right, right. But it's it's a matter of like, do I reach out to him and how do I go about doing it? And I don't want to like, I don't want to hurt my old friend. Like if right. ten thousand dollars, I don't know his situation right now. I would. My personally, this is my take on it: is you try to reach out, try to find him because it, it's an interesting bet, and I think even from from everyone's perspective, I mean, you gotta at least try to reach out to him just to acknowledge the fact that, hey, I won this bet. Even if there's no money exchanged, hey, I won this bet. So I think you try to find him, but I think you treat it like a collection agency would to where, okay, you, you know you're probably not going to get the full balance of what's owed, but you know, just acknowledge that the bet was lost and maybe he offers something up. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because that was pretty much what – and I have to think about the best way to actually like reach out and, and find him. But I was thinking I would, if I did end up talking with him, you know, and I, I actually was a bookie for a very small period of time in college. And I was the worst bookie ever because when someone owed me a lot of money, I would be like, okay, just give me this or you don't have to pay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I was literally the only bookie that probably ever lost money, but I would probably end up just saying like, dude, just give me, you know, Give me five hundred hours, and we'll, we'll meet up and buy me a drink or something. So, exactly. Yeah, you know, I like that. Story, so, yep. That's bullshit, man. You get your <laughs> you get your ten fucking grand, and you invest that in Facebook. Buy low, baby. Go get that stock. <laughs> well, the thing is, one of the reasons why I'm 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 waiting is I'm trying to find out um, about like I what he's doing first which i reached out to a couple friends because like i said if he's like you know running a hedge fund and he spends ten thousand dollars on you know a a dinner at night in manhattan then i don't care then i'll send him an email at his company address and be like do you have ten thousand but if he's just a regular working man it's a little more sensitive and you know if he just had a kid two months ago i would feel a little bad about it i'm not like gonna make my old friend set up like payment plan, a payment plan to pay me over time. Um, so yeah, I, I see both sides of the coin. I feel like he honestly, th- this is about code, man. I mean, this goes to the core of what we talk about on this podcast all the time is like, there are a lot of good Vegas codes and there are a lot of bad Vegas codes, but one of the good Vegas codes is regardless of the scenario, 
regardless of how long it's been since you spoke to somebody, you and a person who make a bet are two people that know the truth. And it is your responsibility when you've lost that bet to reach out and pay the person. It should not have to be the person winning, tracking you down and trying to find out your life circumstances and trying to figure out if it's something that they're going to be comfortable taking your money. Like it is this guy's responsibility to man up, call you up and say, I know we had this bet. I'm so psyched you won. I'm going to write you a check for 10K or I know we had this bet. I'm so psyched you won. I can't pay you. I apologize. I always thought it was in good fun anyways. But um, I think he owes you the explanation. I think he owes it to you. That's what I think. I mean, it's a nice – It's a. I love that code. And yeah, I mean I bet every day if you, if you lose a bet, you pay. If you win a bet, you should get paid. But the problem is, I mean, that, that doesn't get followed by almost – I mean by a lot of people. There's a reason why, you know, if you – talk to many books they're always chasing people down and people are you know running on their balances especially people that bet on credit which is one of the things that's wrong with betting on credit so a lot of people don't follow that but i agree with you that if that was followed by every person that that's like the noble side of of gambling and you know some people like myself do follow that like if i owe you money i'll find a way and i'm paying you um no matter what but you know it's not that's not as close to the heart for everyone as it is to you and myself. You know, you know what I, you know what I think is funny. I, I picture since 2007, I picture this guy Brian popping the bottle of champagne every time the number one seed beats the 16 seed, like the 72 Miami Dolphins. And then this, <laughs> <laughs> and then this year, when it when it happened, he's like, "Oh shit, I got to go into hiding." <laughs> yeah. See, so like, but the other side of the coin is that if he became uber successful and yeah. is making millions and he probably for he really did probably forget about it doesn't care right so then yeah it's either it's either what so then i then i wouldn't feel bad about it or yes he was popping the champagne every year and then he's like ready for virginia umbc for another year one left and then he says oh man and then he goes into <laughs> hiding it's either one i feel like it's either yeah. one of those two extremes by the I, way I, yeah I, it, it, there's no way he's ever forgotten this bet. There's just no way. It doesn't matter how many millions Brian, who majored in finance at GW and graduated in the late 2000s, in the later latter part of the first decade of 2000s, if you're listening, um, there's no way he's forgotten this bet. Absolutely no way. It is a it is a remember for the rest of your life. Tell this story moment. He thinks about it every March, if not every day. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I mean, you, no, I've been pretty drunk over, over certain times in my life, but I think I've I been would, pretty drunk. No I've been pretty drunk all day. So. <laughs> I would always remember a ten thousand dollar bet. I don't care how drunk I was. Yeah, no, this was this was clear. Everyone was cognizant. We weren't like drunk. We were drinking, trending yeah. towards drunk, and you know it was talked about after the fact. So like, I feel like. If it was a drunk bet that was never talked about again, then, you know, that's just, you just yeah. chalk that up the drunk. Uh, you can't be like, hey, remember 10 years ago you said this at the bar? Well, you have to pay me now. I mean, this was something that was carried over. He used to tell, he used to tell me about what he was going to spend the 10000 on because I think in the article I wrote about how in the first three tournaments, not one single 16 seed came within 14 points. The average margin of victory was like 30. I was like, oh, man. 
And uh, so he used, he used to always, I'm like, did I make the wrong bet? And he used to always say, um, you know, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to do this with your money. So just like, you know, kind of ripping me. So it was wow. definitely recognized and, and uh, wasn't just like a one-time, one-off comment. Wow. Well, here's the problem. Like, Scooch, are you going to say something? No, no. Okay. Here's the, here's, here's my dilemma is, uh, I like resolution in my narratives. And so as much as I would like to have Brian who graduated with a degree in finance from GW sometime in 2007, 2008, um, live by the code and just reach out to you, which he hasn't done in the five days since uh, UMBC beat Virginia. Uh, I think you need to find a way to get him so we could have a follow-up to the story. Like, And I think, I think your path is probably the best one. It's like you find an email for him and you're just like, dude, can you believe UMBC beat Virginia? Uh, remember that bet we had for 10K? We made it that bar. We used to talk about totally no – totally do not need to pay me. I just thought it was a good opportunity to uh, reconnect, hope things are going well, and that's it. And let's, then, then you have made the contact. It is on him to say, uh, you know what? I totally owe you the money, and uh, if he's able and he lives by the code, he'll do it. That's what I think you should do. Yeah, I, I agree. agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's, I'm, gonna, I'm just figuring out the best... Softest. Well, first I got to figure out how, and then, uh, yeah, it's just going to be like a soft, uh, hey, you know, kind of in a joking way. Like, remember this bet? How are I just you? Ga- I just gave it to you. I gave you yeah. the line. I just yep. gave you the exact line. It's it's about the connection. You're reconnecting with Brian. It's not about the bet. You deflect the bet. You say, I just thought it was a good opportunity to reconnect. Hope life is good. Let's catch up sometime. That's it. Then it's on him. Yeah, 100%. I agree. All right. Well, now how do we find his email? Um, well, I, I, I'm, I'll be able to get it. I know a couple people that know him well um, that I've reached out to. All right. Stuck. I need you to find his email. I need you to email him, and then you need to write a follow-up story and then come back on the podcast so we can get some resolution. All right. Sounds good. All right. Go back to work. We got some good luck. Stuff. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Scooch. Thanks, Chad. All right. Cheers, take care. Stuck. Scooch. Yeah. So, what would you do there? Yeah, I think the same thing. I mean, reach out to him. I, I would just want acknowledgement of, of winning the wager more than whatever amount of money is going to be collected, if any. Uh, so I would, you know, go through friends of friends to find out where where he is and uh, finally get his contact information, whether it's a number or an email, just like you said, and see what he says. You know, feel him out. Speaking of acknowledgement, boy, did we have a good time in Vegas last week. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, what an experience that was. That was nutty. So uh, first up, uh, it was me on Wednesday night last week in Vegas, the playing games. We were invited to an event. I'm not going to sort of throw anyone under the bus here, but we were invited to an event uh, to speak to about four or 500 people. And um, that they originally just asked me to come. And I said, hey, why don't I come with Scooch and we'll do like a live podcast about it. They're like, great, we'll set you up. We'll get you a table. You know, we'll have the audience ready, all this kind of stuff. Grinnell, Mike Grinnell, the producer, came out. We took a picture together. That was fantastic. Uh, We had a couple other people come out uh, from the crew, and we were making a whole sort of weekend of it, right? So uh, a couple things went wrong. Uh, 
Uh, number one, as a um, giveaway for all the people there, we spent uh, we bought futures tickets on every team in the tournament, and we were going to give them away like in a raffle form to get emails from people, like get signups for the newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's all good. We get there. Scooch, why don't you pick it up from here and tell me your perspective on this? And then Grinnell. Actually, Grinnell, why don't you pick it up and say, when we walk in, what happens? Well, we walked in, and we weren't given the table that we – the whole podcast situation was kind of um, – thrown away because we weren't able to really record anything. There's no, there's no table for us. So um, so we so we improvised and you guys got up on stage and you guys uh, you know did your your kind of a live QA chat interviewing Scooch while uh, a few of us handed out uh, free tickets because we had gotten um, you know we had placed five dollars uh, four times on every team in the tournament, so we were handing out free tickets that uh, were from a different book, and they were not too happy with us, and they told us to get the F out. All right, so... Chad, Chad I, got, I, I got to just tell from, from my perspective, <laughs> real quick, I mean, just, I don't like being downtown to begin with. This was... This was <laughs> <laughs> you had me you had me go downtown and I was greeted I swear I walk into this casino and I see a guy I haven't seen in 20 years when I used to probably longer than that almost 30 years when I used to work down at the Fremont and he says, "Hey, haven't seen you in forever. Where are you at?" And I said, "I'm at the Orleans now." He said, "Hey, you think if I come down there I can get like a free meal?" I mean, this is how I'm greeted as I Give walk into the room. Give this guy a buffet, Scoots. <laughs> I'm telling you. So we walk into this room. Like you said, there's 500 people. We're, we don't know where to go. The table's not ready. So they bring us, like Grinnell said, they bring us up on stage, you and me, and they take us through the back where it's dark. We can't see. Now, the stage had an NIT game going on that they turned off the game for us to go on stage. And then we, we get up there and we're already hearing like, boo, because they turned the game off. Then you ask, hey, is, does anyone have any questions? And, and there's crickets. Nobody has a question. I felt I felt like a bad vaudeville team going on between the strippers, like and it, it, where people are just looking for, hey, what, who are you guys again? And, and it's dark. We're, we're, we're trying to look at the, the sheet with uh, the flashlight from an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was something else. So then, you know, we did mention, I tried not to mention what book I was from, but uh, I think eventually it came up in conversation, and they were none too happy that I was from a competing sports book. Well, you've got it all right. We got up on that stage, which was dark because they didn't have any lights because it was meant to broadcast a basketball game. So you wanted it sort of as dark as possible. Um, so I honestly thought we were going to have, have beer bottles thrown at us. Like <laughs> we were in, in a bad basement comedy club working out our routine for like drunks who had hatred and like had no interest in seeing us at all. Except I do recall like – so all of a sudden we're going out there and like we had one mic that we had to share 
like you said, it was dark, and so we want to talk about the brackets. But the thank God you brought like a printed copy of a bracket. We had to use your <laughs> your phone flashlight to look at the brackets, and I I don't know that anyone listened to us except a couple time a couple times you said like Arizona, and there were Arizona fans who started yes. yelping. And yes. one time, one time I said I said the name Scooch, and people were like Scooch. So, <laughs> so we knew that I do there remember were like, that. Yeah. There were some people listening, but like I don't think it ever. I don't think the volume level in that place ever got beneath like a seven. I don't think anyone was listening to us. The only no. good thing that was happening was Grinnell and um, this was funny. So like when it was clear that nothing like. We, we were going to periscope this thing. We were going to do a live podcast um, when it was clear that none of this was going to be possible. I said to Grinnell and the other guys, I'm like, okay, our only goal right now is give away the future tickets and collect emails to like add to our subscriber database and things like that. And so uh, I, I'm like, guys, it's hand-to-hand combat right now. You are going table to table, person to person. And just like, telling people what we're doing and making these trades. And so uh, before you knew it, Grinnell, God love him, the guy is fearless, had a line of like 50 people in front of the stage. So he, we're on the stage like talking and Grinnell has a line of people just handing out futures tickets. And uh, that's when he said to me, yeah, we're going to get kicked out of here. <laughs> While we were you were talking, he asked me to come over. He whispered to me, "We're going to get kicked out of here," and that was basically the end of the show. <laughs> oh man, that was fantastic! I yeah, I, the, I, I was kind of shocked because you, the guy came up to me and was talking about the podcast and everything. And he listens to the podcast. I think he was from St. Louis, and uh, and then all of a sudden you disappeared. So I'm like, "Where'd you go?" And then when you came back, you're like. Dude, we just got kicked out of here. <laughs> yeah, we're done. The best was uh, the best was this is so gorilla. Later that night, uh, Grinnell and another one of the guys had this bracket, a big bracket that we had printed out, and uh, they were walking around the MGM. And I'm like, let's just make a video of like people filling out the bracket, fans filling out the bracket, and we'll do something fun with it. Uh, five minutes after they go to do it, Grinnell calls me and he's like. Yeah, we just kicked out. We just got kicked out of the MGM too. No way. <laughs> yeah, they weren't happy with us. Tell tell what happened. So we were we were kind of so we were doing it out like right in front of the sports book, which was, probably wasn't a smart idea. And there was this guy staring at us like wherever we went for about fifteen to twenty minutes. Like we'd we'd probably walk like you know twenty yards, thirty yards. He'd follow us kind of to see what we were doing. So we we finally walked like completely away from the sports book. And uh, we walked over to the bar, and the we we were doing it over by the bar, and the bartender said, um, "You're gonna get kicked out if you do that." And um, you know, ten minutes later, a security guard came over and basically told us that uh, no more of that. Uh, wow. So those those were our adventures in Vegas, and all of it was grand. Like it was so much fun, and we walked out of there just we were you know. It was a fiasco, and we laughed about it and shrugged it off and moved on to the next day. And, uh, you know, the tournament's been amazing and really fun and great success for the Action Network, and so we're excited about it. But I woke up, I think, uh, early Saturday morning. Grinnell left Friday night. I left uh, 
the sports book Friday night with a buddy who came to visit, and we went out to dinner, and Grinnell and some other folks were were uh, still at the book doing work and whatever. And then uh, I guess Grinnell went out after. Grinnell, why don't you tell us what happened? Well, I, um, you know, it was my first time in, in the beautiful city of Las Vegas, so I decided I would, uh, you know, go out and about, see the town, check it out. And uh, I, I went to a club, and, you know, so uh, in, in Tiesto, uh, world-renowned DJ happened to be playing at the club. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tiesto. So I'm thinking, you know, why, why don't I try and, and get into the VIP section and, you know, maybe I'll meet Tiesto. There's a bunch of people. I could see a bunch of people in the VIP section. So I go up to the big guys, one of the big guys standing in, uh, in front of the VIP section. I start talking to him for a little bit and I'm like, hey, you know, buddy, if I give you a hundred bucks, you know, you, you think you could let me in here? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. So I hand him a hundred bucks and he just... Like, like he didn't even know me, took the hundred bucks and just walked away. And then I, uh, <laughs> I, came, I came to the conclusion that he was not a bouncer. He did not work there. And I had just lost a hundred bucks. <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. That is classic. That is so good. First, I got to know, like, this was great. So we were at the sports book basically for... 48 of 48 hours on Thursday and Friday. Um, on Friday, Grinnell was at the sports book. He left, came back in an entirely different outfit. Like, no, I just had a sweatshirt on. It looked like I was in a different outfit, but I put. I just had a. I just had a sweatshirt on. Oh no, we were convinced. Like Grinnell, like how many outfits did he bring to Vegas for 48 hours? Oh, I'm, <laughs> I brought a ton. I'm a big, uh, big outfit guy. Got to look good. Okay. You never know. You never know. You could meet your potential wife. So, who did you go to the club with? Um, there was there was a couple guys that uh, I happened to know in Vegas that happened to be there at the time. So, I, I met up with one of them, and uh, we just we walked over there. I actually saw him on the way back from the sports book, and uh, he told me he left his crew, and I said I I had left mine, and I was going to go to bed, and he convinced me to go out with him, and that was kind of that. Oh my God, I love that. That is so good. Um, all right, so Grinnell lost 100 bucks. He didn't get to meet Tiesto, and he didn't get into the VIP section, which is such a bummer. Um, but still, and we got kicked out of two different casinos. Um, but a good time was had by all. <laughs> Great yeah. time. At the end of the day, we all had a blast. Scooch, we should take yeah. a few minutes and run through the Sweet 16. Um, so uh, why don't we do that? Let's look at Illinois... Uh, Illinois, Chicago, and Nevada. Uh, Loyola, 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 Chicago. Loyola, Chicago. Because Illinois, Chicago is actually playing in one of the lesser tournaments. Uh, I've had a lot of people get mis misunderstood about that. Thank, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, don't forget we have a lot of uh, Nevada loyalists here, even though we're down south and most of the, the Reno betters are up north. I, I know I talked to some of my buddies that have casinos up in Reno, and they got absolutely annihilated on that Cincy-Nevada uh, game, uh, whereas down south here in, in Las Vegas, it, we actually needed Nevada to win that game. So uh, here we go again. Uh, we're probably a little heavier on Nevada, but that's probably only because of the uh, 
the, the local affiliation here. Uh, the, the bigger money's on Loyola Chicago, and the, the line actually came down a little bit from uh, Nevada Open to two-point favorite. We're down to uh, one and a half now. Some of the sharper action seems to be on Loyola Chicago. Uh, and, and again, I think it's just uh, the, the fact that uh, there's some Nevada fans here that make the ticket count a little higher on Nevada. Why do you think the wise guys are on Loyola? Is it Sister Jean? You know, they've been really high on this team, and that was one of the things we actually talked about in our brief time up on stage there is one of the teams that could kind of be a bracket buster in that uh, in that bracket. Of course, it turned out to be uh, UMBC instead, but they're both out of that same bracket. And uh, a, a lot of professionals have watched this team play all year and were really high on them coming into the tournament. You know, they get by on that, that last... Uh, second shot uh, uh, against Miami to get them to the to the next round, but uh, but then another upset uh, against Tennessee, and uh, here, here we are again. I you know the it's basically a pick 'em game, and uh, looking at looking at this matchup, I think that there's probably a little bit more value on Loyola Chicago. So uh, I was at the Westgate at the Westgate Sportsbook on um, Thursday and Friday, and. Uh, they do a phenomenal job. Jay, I, Scooch, I know you're good friends with Jay, and the Westgate does a phenomenal job with sort of their sports book, and they have a huge arena. You know, they get a lot of people there. Um, and so they, they have two different spots. And so uh, on Thursday morning, they were having a little bit of trouble with their uh, app. And I bet a significant amount on Loyola Chicago uh, to, to win against Miami. And um, I pressed the button, and... It said that like the app timed out and my bet wasn't made, so I did it again. It said it timed out, bet wasn't made, I did it again, and uh, so it, you know, it, it still didn't. It timed out as the third time was happening. Uh, they made an announcement that they were having some technical difficulties with the app at that moment, and they got it fixed quickly. Um, but that if you were making bets, don't repeat the bet because if it's timing out, your bet is actually going in. Oh wow! So all of a sudden, I. I had three significant bets on Loyola <laughs> to win wow. that game. And I had to decide, like, am I going to roll with it? Am I going to try to get, like, one of the bets in and get the other two refunded? Like, what am I going to do? I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going for it. So uh, when Loyola won that game on that last second shot, like, that, honestly, that made my weekend. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was so far ahead um, for the weekend because of, I bet that game three times. That is fantastic. I love it. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Good for, good for mistakes. Uh, Michigan is a two and a half point favorite over Texas A&M. Boy, that's a tough one. That Texas A&M team, they looked just phenomenal. Yeah, they, they really did. Um, uh, we, I'm actually surprised at this one. We opened, uh, we opened Michigan uh, a three-point favorite. And Michigan has drawn so much action in every single game, uh, but they've actually been pretty good to us because uh, uh, they they didn't cover the first game against uh, Montana. And then I think one of the most exciting times of the entire tournament was that uh, buzzer beater. Uh, against Houston that actually cost us a ton of money because we needed Houston on the money line and uh, with Michigan uh, down a couple points that three pointer to, to win the game was just a, a dagger but uh, Michigan again has just been drawn a, a ton of action and now they flip flopped and like you said they saw 
a Texas A&M team that, that looked fantastic. So they've kind of gone the other way. We're a little bit heavier in ticket count on Texas A&M and on the money. So this will be the first game so far that we actually need Michigan. Are the wise guys on Texas A&M or is like everybody yeah, on Texas every, A&M? Everybody's on Texas A&M, the wise guys and the public. So uh, I could actually see this line going down. Uh, we've already adjusted the money line down from a dollar fifty down to a minus a dollar forty on Michigan. So uh, they're grabbing Texas A&M on the money line here. Um, I don't think anyone's at two yet, but I could see a lot of small bets coming in, four or five hundred dollar bets coming in on Texas A&M even as we speak. So um, I could easily see this line going down to two. All right, uh, everybody's darling now. Kentucky is a five and a half point favorite over Kansas State. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, so this might be of the Thursday games. It's the biggest uh, in terms of ticket count. There's more bets on Kentucky uh, than any of the eight teams there. That uh, uh, just all public money on Kentucky, but we do have some sharp money on K State, and we opened this game six and a half. So some of that early money on K State from the sharp guys was just really grabbing a value number because there were some five and a halfs, and we were out there at six plus six and a half. So they grabbed plus six and a half. They grabbed a little bit of plus six. I know there's a lot of places around town that still have five and a half, uh, but again, we're looking at that ticket count, and if it's this heavy now, then by tip-off time. Uh, tomorrow, this is going to be our, our biggest game of the day. And, you know, with our properties, you know, we have a lot of properties in town and there are a lot of locals properties. Most of our bets on, on the Sweet 16 will come in like a couple hours before the game. So 90% of that, our, our action hasn't even come in yet. And we know it's going to be on Kentucky. So even though everyone's at five and a half now, I could see a lot of places in Vegas closing at six. How about Gonzaga, Florida State? Gonzaga's going to the Final Four. I had him going to the Final yeah. Four. The rest, of, the rest <laughs> of my bracket is blown because I had Cincy and Michigan State in the finals and Cincy winning. But Gonzaga is going to the Final Four, man. Yeah, you know, outside of that one little spell uh, when they, they let Ohio State back in the game after opening up a 15 to, to nothing run to open the game, uh, they, they had a little hiccup, but they recovered quickly and then won that game and covered easily against Ohio State. This team, a lot of people had them going pretty deep into the tournament, and uh, they, they have a, such a huge following out here uh, on the West Coast, you know, especially here. We've here at the Orleans and. We have the, uh, the the West Coast Conference tournament here every year. So even if you weren't a Gonzaga fan five years ago, uh, you became one now because you've watched them for so many years here coming to Vegas and playing in this tournament. Uh, so there's a huge following for Gonzaga. You can you just hear the sports books every time you know they sink a three, uh, no matter who they're playing. They just have just such a such a fan base, and they travel really well. So uh, I, w- I would expect to hear a lot of uh, Gonzaga fans, uh, you know, even, even at the game. So uh, we're at minus five and a half um i could see the line going up to six the ticket counts pretty heavy it's uh not as heavy as kentucky but it's probably the the, the second most bet team uh of those thursday slate is the wise guy money on the other side haven't gotten any wise guy money on this game at all so um not sure if they uh if they're just waiting to, to get a better number uh it doesn't seem like they were really high on florida state even in their previous games didn't get a whole lot of money on on florida state in the previous games especially compared to some of these other teams that made it to the sweet 16 uh really just uh, one of the teams that are kind of like oh they're there too so <laughs> it's not a whole lot of action on them what about KU? Like KU is one of those teams nobody really was one of those number one seeds that people were not high on. Yeah, now they've got a 
easier path. They're at four and a half, and they play Clemson. Um, not so easy. Like they still have to face Duke if they move on. But what do you yeah. think of that game? Well, like you said, Kansas is one of those teams that's you know perennially. Uh, perennially, I can't say that word, but every perennially, year, <laughs> that's the word. Yeah. My, my mouth isn't working today. Uh, every year that they're either a number one or number two seed, people feel like they're going to go down, that they're, they're not, uh, that, that they, uh, they, they never really cover the spreads, but unless they're laying a short number. So it's, it's odd. If Kansas is laying a big number, uh, they bet the dog. And if they're laying a short number, they, they, they kind of lay the favorite. So in this one, uh, the public is on Kansas. Uh, we're at minus four and a half. The sharp guys are, are on Clemson, though. So we got some some bigger money on Clemson, taking the plus four and a half. All the public money is on is on Kansas at minus the four and a half. And I got to tell you, this was if I had to pick one single biggest moment for the sports book in the tournament, it was when Kansas was up uh, 83 to 78, I think it was, or seven. Oh no, 76, 83 to 76 against Seton Hall, and they were laying uh, four and a half against Seton Hall. And I don't rem- know if you remember, with no time left on the clock, a seemingly mean- meaningless three-pointer from Seton Hall that made the final score 83 to 79. Kansas did not cover by the hook. Was our biggest moment in the entire tournament. I mean. <laughs> that that day, uh, if you remember, Villanova had won by 20. Duke had won by 20. Gonzaga was up big on Ohio State. Kentucky had already covered. All the favorites were just absolutely rolling. And if Kansas had covered that game against Seton Hall, we would have gotten absolutely annihilated. So I don't know if that many people realize how big that three-pointer at the end of the game was, but that saved our day. Well, we wrote about it at the Action Network. Uh because we have this column about bad beats on Mondays, and so uh, I wrote about it quite a bit. Oh, I got to read that thing. You should totally (laughs) check it out. Speaking of, uh, don't forget that after Scooch is gone uh, from this podcast, we have Paul LaDuca, former all-star catcher, uh, Major League Baseball, who's writing for the Action Network, and Jeff Schwartz, 10-year NFL vet, also writing for the Action Network. They're going to come on and talk about their latest stories, MLB season win totals, uh, NFL season win totals um, that are all changing a little bit because of free agency. Scooch, let's talk about Nova, the prohibited favorite in West Virginia. I like this game. Nova's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Everyone likes Nova, and there's another team that just kind of keeps just rolling along. I mean, uh, uh, they are just kind of covering easily now. So they're, they they seem like, uh, you know, the most legit number one team. So uh, uh, all not, it's just all one-sided on this one, both from the uh, the public side and the, and the wise guy side. Um, I... Boy, you know what? We might have a line change just right right now. As I, we're at five and a half, but we're really close to going to six, and I think I'm going to go to six. Line change. So, line uh, change. Line change. Trinero, <laughs> opened... are you ready? <laughs> yep. So we opened five on the game. Uh, we went to five and a half, and now we're at and now we're at six. So just all completely one sided. Uh, boy, we're just going to be big West Virginia fans on on Friday. I don't even know if Grinnell's listening. He's like, he's got his head at Tiesto right now. I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I'm here. He wants that hundred bucks back. Yeah, he's serious. <laughs> uh, Duke, big, big favorites over Syracuse. I know the wise guys are going to come in on Syracuse in this game. 
Absolutely. You know, and I've heard it throughout, uh, you know, just kind of milling around with all the, the, the people in the sports book that they love Syracuse and the role of a big underdog. It seems no matter how mediocre the team is, once they get into the the the, uh, the tournament, uh, they just turn it up a, a notch and especially getting a lot of points. I expect this to be a lot closer uh, than a lot of people think. The wise guys have already come in on it. And to be honest with you, the public is actually uh, favoring Syracuse, too. The ticket count is not favoring Duke in this one. The ticket count is actually about a three to two favorite on, on Syracuse. So uh, I, I think the public feels the same way that you do, that uh, it's just a little too many points for a Sweet 16 game. All right, last game of the Sweet 16. Purdue is a one-and-a-half-point favorite over Texas Tech. Yeah, not a whole lot of action on this. You know, a lot of people just, uh, they were really high on Purdue, but obviously uh, after after the injury to Haas, uh, they've kind of uh, backed away a little bit. They're just not quite certain about them. It's basically a pick em game. We opened Purdue minus one and a half. We have no movement on it whatsoever. The ticket count is slightly heavier on Purdue, but just out of all the games on the board, I think we have the least action overall on this one than of anyone. So um, we'll see if the wise guys come in on it, but they haven't so far. All right, here's who I have coming out of the uh, – since we won't talk again until the Final Four. Here's who I have coming out of these brackets. I have Kentucky, I have Gonzaga, I have Nova, and I have Duke. I have to agree with that. Of all the teams left, I agree 100%. There you go. See I what I do a, there? Yeah, yeah. I know it's a anticlimactic that we're not on opposite sides, but I'm with you. All right, Scooch, listen, there's nobody kicking us off of this podcast, so uh, thanks for joining me today. No, thank you. It was good seeing you. Uh, good good meeting Grinnell uh, uh, face-to-face. First time we got a chance to actually meet. So, it was a pleasure, uh, Scooch. Same here. We'll see you next time you're out. Of course. All right, fellas. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right, it's time for the second half of the buffet. Uh, I'm calling the segment Pro Athletes Who Gamble. Uh, and with me are Paul LaDuca, former all-star Major League Baseball catcher, uh, contributor to the Action Network, whose first story went up on Wednesday or late Tuesday night looking at MLB season win totals. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, veteran NFL lineman, also contributor to the Action Network, whose stories, uh, first two stories went up in the past week looking at NFL win totals. Paul? Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. What are you thanks laughing at? You. Someone's, someone's <laughs> laughing already. It's what is me, so funny? Because I just have, I already know me and Jeff already are just, just the same personality and it's going to be a rip fest and I'm gonna, just going to love every part of it. Except I grew up a Giants fan. Is that okay with you? No, that's all right. I, here's the deal. I, I am a Jets fan, but like, mini Jets fan. I actually was a kid that was born in Brooklyn and grew up in Arizona. So I actually am a Cardinals fan. So don't kill me for that. No, I actually mean a San Francisco Giants baseball fan. Okay. Then I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't root for any football team really besides the Chiefs because my brother plays for them. I played for so many, but no, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. Like hardcore. you You make a good point. You know, as a professional athlete, to be honest with you, do I root for the Mets? Yeah, they're my childhood team. I grew up with. I got a dream to play with them, uh, play for them. The Dodgers. I do dream foundation stuff. But like, 
I'm not a big, I, I, I'm not really a baseball fan of somebody. When you, it's really hard to go back and watch. And still to this day, I haven't gone back and watched a nine inning game. It's just like, I have nothing personal. It's just like, I sat through 180 million national anthems and all that stuff. I don't need to do it anymore. You know? Well, it's interesting. You guys go ahead. Keep talking. You don't need me. Keep going. No, so it makes total sense. I've been to one pro football game since I retired two years ago. It was my brother's game, and I have zero desire to go back to any other any other games. You know, Jeff's right. Like, you know how many people hit us? I, I'm sure Jake gets the same thing. Like, I have clubhouse guys that I can get tickets for. And then people invite me to games, this and that, and they take it personal. And I'm like, bro, I was just like, it's, <laughs> is it an ego check or not? I don't know, Jeff. Maybe it is for you. But I'm like – the game does get easier. I'll be honest with you on that one. But I don't want to be sitting in the 78th row. I used to sit right there behind home plate. And then to me, it just uh, it does nothing for me. I'd rather sit at home with my feet up on, the, uh, on a chair. Plus, on Sundays, I have to work. Or I have to watch all the games on Sundays. I can't just spend my day at an entire stadium. So it's not worth it for me to go to football games anymore. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way. God, that's so interesting that both of you who played so many games in so many years and spent so much time thinking about getting to the professional level of your sports, uh, you leave the game and have no interest in attending a game. The, to me, there's nothing more exciting than as a fan. And, and also now, you know, I've been a sports writer and in the sports media business for a long time and gone to a lot of games. Um, it still feels amazing to walk into a stadium and like come through a tunnel and look at the open expanse of a field. That's awesome. I got, I get a rush from that every single time. Are you well, I, take I, this enjoy doing, I enjoy, well, <laughs> I enjoy, well, okay. Whatever, whatever, be any better than that. But I, I enjoy going to baseball. Like I go to baseball games and I enjoy that feeling of walking the ballpark and seeing the park. Like I still got excitement doing that or going to a basketball game, but like when I watched a football game I was at with my brother, um, it was a little weird at first to be on the field. I was on the field for warm-ups, just a little weird. Um, and then, I don't know, I was kind of anxious. All, like my wife could tell I was kind of a little like off for a little bit. Um, and then I settled in during the game a little bit more. Um, it just was an odd feeling. I just I was like, I'm sitting in the crowd knowing that I played the game. And I don't know, I just didn't have any desire to really be there besides rooting for my brother. I... I, I, I it's like taking the words out of my mouth. Like you almost want somebody you can root for, you know, what Jeff having his brother is a good thing. You know, he can at least go to the stadium, but I'm with him. Whenever I go out on the field and do stuff for the Mets and then the regular players come out, it's, it's an awkward feeling. It really is. He's right. It's, it's, it's like, um, I never waited in line at a nightclub when I played. I never did. The, 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 <laughs> I, the regular parking. Jeff knows. I used to park in the players' parking lot. I ain't parking a mile away. I'm sorry. We got the <laughs> That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. Unless an Uber's going to drop me off at gate A and my tickets are sitting there and I'm sitting in a suite, I'm sorry. I'm being honest with you because the thing about it is, is like, and like Jeff says, it's an awkward feeling. And he's right. You know, I love actually – was never a big basketball fan when I grew up, but like I love going to watch basketball live, and then I end up really loving hockey live. And I'm not a giant hockey fan, but to watch both of those sports live were different for me. But when I walk into a major league stadium, um, it's like 
okay, been there, done that, you know? And uh, put it this way, I know O Canada probably better than our national anthem. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, let me let me get to the point at hand here because, uh, Jeff, you've been on the podcast before and you did the, the Super Bowl show with us. Um, but as for an introduction, I feel like briefly people need to know about both of your interests and experiences with betting. So, Jeff, you start, just sort of talk a little bit about how you came to be interested in gambling and how that's, you know, that, and that's why you're with the Action Network right now. Yeah, so, you know, I, I've always kind of had this. I know that my grandfather, who passed away before I was born, was uh, betting horses every day. And so I kind of maybe have that little blood in me. I'm not a, a horse betting fan, but, um, and I knew, you know, on Twitter, a lot of my friends who cover sports uh, gamble, and they might not say it publicly, but I know they do. And as soon as I retired, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And so I basically knew the last year was 2016, I turned 2016, September, October, November. And I knew I was, no one was, I was getting called. I was done. So I, I retired, started gambling a little bit um, that December, and then really hit it hard for the college football playoffs and, um, and the regular season. I mean, the, the NFL playoffs as well. It was a lot of fun. And then I, I don't do too much other sports. Uh, you know, NCAA tournament's going on now, but I really enjoy it. I think it adds some excitement. Uh, you're, you know, you watch games sometimes that you never really watch because you got a couple bucks on it. Um, you know, I don't gamble to support an income. I just do it for fun. Um, it just gives me another way to look at, at, at sports, um, you know, using – different ways to think about the game. And, you know, sometimes and I talked about this, you know, the way I perceive a game is often quite opposite with the way Vegas perceives a game. So it's quite fascinating to, as I bet typically how I want to bet, not really what Vegas or Vegas says I should bet. And so it's always weird for me when I'm like, I know this is supposed to happen, but it didn't. And Vegas was right again. And, and so I have this weird dilemma that should I stick with what I think I know or should I trust Vegas? Well, I think the answer is always trust Vegas. I know, but, it, but, I, but, it's, but my job is to talk about the NFL, so I think I know what I'm talking about. So when I, you know, it, it really kills me in prop betting because I've lost many props by a yard or two um, when I think that I know how a team's going to game plan someone, and it's so upsetting. Like, just by, I'm like, by a yard. I'm like, oh, just get one more yard. Come on. And um, that's where it kills me more than anything else. But I found some fun ways to take advantage of, of having played before. So it's a ton of fun. I love it. Um, maybe I'll get into more um, other, you know, other sports as we keep going. But uh, it was a rough year for football, but I still had fun doing it. Laduca, I feel like you have so much you could teach this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, we have a little bit of the same background, although my father was the one that took me to the racetrack. Uh, I mean, I was the kid that was – um, you know, lying to my mother where I was and cutting class and actually cut, you know, you know, it's funny. I was always a math wizard and a minor and a math major and, and numbers fascinated me. And I always, I cut my teeth actually on dog racing, which was crazy because it, it, to me, it was, it was always, you know, process of elimination or stuff like that. Then it turned into horse racing, horse racing, was always my, my passion. But, you know, you end up realizing at a certain age, um, my father is running this business or that business, and he's really running one business. So 
you know, what I wrote in my article this morning is true. Back in the day, you know, I'm 45 now, but back in the day, I used to read the lines on a separate line. Um, you know, the Patriots plus this or, you know, right. the, the, the USC plus that was on the other line. You'd call that line, then you'd call my father. Now, my father had, like, local guys. He wasn't a big guy, 10, 20 guys. And um, I really didn't pay attention until he threw the, 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 uh, the uh, uh, TV out the window one day, and I'll never forget the beat. <laughs> uh, and this is a beat that, I don't know, a lot of probably people will go back to, but it was Arizona State against USC, and Arizona State was getting, I want to say nine, nine and a half. I might be wrong on this. And it went into overtime. USC scored, and then the first play from Arizona State, they threw a pick six. And it was a cover over the number in overtime, which probably happened maybe once or twice. And when the TV went outside the front <laughs> of the house, I started to realize what my father was doing for a living. So, you know, and then, you know, when I signed my professional contract, he stopped. You had to. Well, you know, a lot right. of people have already hit me up. Did you ever bet on baseball? You bet on baseball? No, I haven't. And then the crazy part about it is MLB actually investigated me because I owned a ton, ton of horses, but I had never bet on baseball because it was the one thing that was the first thing you ever saw whenever you yes. went into a clubhouse. Yes. And my idol was Pete Rose. And the thing was, I mowed, I don't know how many lawns to get that Pete Rose rookie. I put it on layaway for seven months and I was crushed when I found out. And here I am, a gambler, and I always saw myself listen. And then my dad looked at me straight in the eye and said, listen, there's way, and there's a, a lot of other things to gamble on. Just stay away from this sport. So I've always, you know, you always want to dabble in it because I have the advantage. I always have the advantage, but I've always been able to stay away from it. And, and I just hope that my advice, like Jeff says, there's little things here and there that the public just does not get. Um, that, that Jeff and I can give to them. And I know this football season, Jeff, Jeff's got a way harder job than me. The NFL is impossible. I don't even know how you play that anyway, because I try to play <laughs> and I get crushed every year. A lot of people that I've talked to really love to play baseball, and I'm really interested um, to get involved and, and really interested to give my opinion because I really think I can help. All right, so that was a great segue because you did a story today about MLB season win totals. and. Explain a little bit about what you looked at, because one thing you did was talk about how you can't stand saber metrics, and that your ability to analyze the game comes from having played the game and understanding players. Which, from a betting perspective, saber metrics is just becoming more and more important. Metrics generally are becoming more and more important, and evening the game out for people who want to bet. So, explain your philosophy and what you were talking about this morning in the column, where you were picking teams like the twins to be big winners from an over perspective. Well, my, you know, my, my twin selection, I, I'm just looking at the division, you know, I, I, there's tall buildings and big casinos in Vegas for one reason. And three teams in that division are projected to lose 90 games. So I'm getting 50 plus games. If I can get a team that can go 52 or, you know, win 66% of those games, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on third away home, but, when it comes to the sabermetrics, some of the stuff I get, I like war. I think war is a legit thing. It tells me something, winning players. Um, uh, if you, I'll give you an example. You look at the Loyola Chicago team that's down the Sweet 16. That coach is noted for drafting players that win 
state championships. There's seven kids on that team that win championships, that won state championships. So he recruits winners. They know how to win games. I think war is okay. Now, when we start getting the DECA and all these other stuff, and OBA and this, that, and, and WX this, and DESA, and LIPS, and give me a break. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. And Jeff will tell you this too. Let me ask you a quick question, or let me put you into a scenario. Say that Zach Greinke goes out there and gets absolutely shredded in the second inning, and the Diamondbacks are down 7 nothing, and then a team comes back and makes it a 7-6 game, and now the Arizona uses their whole bullpen. Now the manager's got to go up to the next starter and say, hey, buddy, you got to eat some innings for the bullpen, regardless what happens. Okay, so now here's a guy that now in the fifth inning is not having one of his best games. And now he has to stay out there for the sixth and seventh inning because he's eating it up for his team, because he doesn't want to tax the bullpen, because they got a bigger series coming up. So his exit velocity went down those two innings. And that's going to skew his exit velocity for the rest of the year. There's so many different components. How about a guy that flew from L.A. all the way to New York and then has got to get on a flight after that flight, has got to start that game. You think he's going to be a tiny bit fatigued? Maybe his exit velocity was down that way. There's, there's things that drive me nuts because the elements come into play. What about the tough matchups? Could be a different matchup. Could be this, that. The variables are beyond what they're trying to come up with. Ground ball rate, disc ball rate. That's all right. You got to be out of your mind. You're, 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 it's, it's apples to friggin' oranges. Okay, if this guy gave up a zillion ground balls, great. How about one year he gave up some ground balls that were actually 20 more seeing eye hits than, than last year? Guess what? He sucks. And guess what? A 280 hitter goes up to 300 if those go, go through. That's the, the, the small, minimal part that can make or break a sabermetric. A sabermetric to me, to, of, of any sport, I say, let, let me rephrase that. Not a sabermetric, but of all sports, luck is involved. You create your own luck. I, I, I do believe that as long as you keep hitting balls hard. Right. But luck is involved a lot in, 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 in baseball when it comes to um, Pitching, one of my biggest pet peeves is when a guy gives up two broken bat hits and then, the, and then, the, then, the, then the manager comes and takes him out. So if they were caught and they were bullets, you'd leave them in. So the contact rates and all this ground ball rates, it's, it's subject to everything. What happens if it's minus five degrees out and they're playing a game? I'm sure there's going to be not a lot of contact rate that day. So... You can't put it all into perspective. You can't jump it all in. And then when you start reading these articles, I literally, my head spins like Inspector Gadget. Jeff, I feel like you're going to have an opinion on this only because, not necessarily for the metrics, but um, because you are very active on Twitter and very thoughtful in going back at people on conventional wisdom of what they think should be done and based on what you think should be done based on what you know about the game and how, like, from what a holding penalty is to right. whether or not Saquon Barkley should be drafted number one overall. Oh, oh yeah. Well, the Barkley thing is ridiculous. He should be drafted 
not number one. I mean, we kind of know that now. I see some mock drafts even push him down to like five, six, seven, which is seems more suited for running back. Um, I don't know if I push back on conventional wisdom, but I think there's a lot of morons on Twitter, um, and I think that's the nicest way possible. But really, here's the thing, and and here's the thing, and this, there are writers that I love who have never played football before, but they don't try to break down plays, right? They, they're, and there's a lot of them that are, there's, there's, they're very good, and I follow them, and they know that I like their work. Um, but they, they don't try to like break down plays, and then when people come at me and try to tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about or I don't know because of what, or whatever reason. I don't take comedy to that because I think I'm good at my job. And especially when it comes to offensive line play, you're not going to challenge me on that. And, you know, one thing that does bother me, and I, and I know the guys at Pro Football Focus well at PFF. I know them well. Um, but, you know, I give my opinion and then someone says, well, PFF ranked them X. And I'm like, guys, like, here's the deal with PFF. I, I think they do some fantastic work. I use them often when I write because – they produce stats that I can't produce. I can't produce downfield accuracy for quarterbacks. I can't. I can't produce that. I can't produce, uh, you know, a cornerback's rate of of you know being beaten in coverage. I can't produce that. Um, but what I think is important when you look at the at the, the at the saber metrics analytics of football is you have to have the film to back it up. So if I say, mm-hmm. for example, Al, Alex Smith was the best this year at deep ball passing, which is shocking because it's, you didn't think it would be that way coming the season. So if I say that, I better have some film to show that he can do that um, or vice versa. I better have film and then I can look back at the stats. So I think that in football, film will always be number one. It will always be number one. You can look at the, at the, at the analytics to confirm what you've seen on film or maybe sometimes it opens your, okay, well, I think this guy, like, for, especially for Alex Smith, you know, people will be like, well, he can't throw deep. And I'd be like, no, 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 you know, the stats say he can. And obviously the film backed it up as well. So I think it's important to blend those two. I think far too often people rely on the player grades that PFF has and other websites. And when no, protein, and what's interesting is proteins buy their data. They don't buy the player grades. They buy all the other stuff that I can't even see. I've seen some of it, actually. But it's very, it's very, very detailed. It's very good work. It's stuff, it's grunt work that, that pro guys used to do forever with personnel stuff and, and matchups that you can't do. It cuts, it cuts hours away from your day to just buy it from PFF. That's pretty accurate, I think. So that type of stuff's fantastic. But just to, to come at me, if I give my opinion on someone and say, well, PFF has them ranked here, that drives me up a wall. All right, so both of you had pieces out this week that uh, had strong opinions. Um, Paul, we talked a little bit about the Twins, and you made some good thoughts there. People, I saw people responding on Twitter loving the idea that you were all over the Twins. Um, you also were all over the Red Sox. Give me your reason on the Red Sox. Well, you know, the Red Sox for me are just getting overlooked. The bump from the Yankees, is it legit? Yes. Um, but. Let's read into it, okay? We're gamblers, right? You go on any website who has the top five starting rotation, the Yankees. Who has the top five lineup, the Yankees. Who's got the top five bullpen, the Yankees. And to me, it's almost like it's just so much that I think a lot of people forget that the Boston won the division with a lame duck manager. Um, got, we still don't know what, what went on in that clubhouse. And with my experience with Alex and, and what I wrote in the piece is true. 
I'm not fabricating. One thing you're you mean, you mean Alex Cora, who's the new manager? Yeah, the manager. One thing you're not going to get. You're not. I'm going to tell you like it is, and I'm a little bit like Jeff. If you're going to you're going to disagree with me, I'll listen to your opinion. If it's educated, then I'm going to like it. If it's and I'm with Jeff, there's idiots on Twitter, and and if you're going to come at me with a stupid something, I'm going to bury you. But exactly. I, you know, my experience is Alex Cora comes from a family where his brother went to Vanderbilt, very, very intelligent from Puerto Rico. He went to the University of Miami. Both of them got degrees. They're very, very intelligent. They both played very long careers with very limited talent. Maybe Joey was score lower than Alex. I think a lot of people forget that Alex had the game-winning hit in the College World Series before Warren Morris hit a home run for LSU to win the game. A lot of people remember he was the one that was laying on the ground behind shortstop. Next thing you know, we drafted him, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, I had been in the organization for a couple years. Mike Sosha had cut me back to be a catcher. In 1996, I went back to A-ball. And it was devastating, but I got to play with Alex. And then I came up the ranks, A-ball, double-A, triple-A. And listen, he was not a great hitter, a lifetime 240 hitter. He couldn't run, but if you hit it at him, you were out. But his baseball IQ was insane. He made it up with, when you're a catcher, you're able to see the whole field. When the guy would swing, he would have two steps to the left, and the ball would be hit to his left. His instincts were phenomenal. And he's always been a guy to me that, like, when I grew up with him and then we played together with the Dodgers, that – he would always be in my ear, and I was always in my ear. We were always on the same page. He, he, he thought like a catcher. Whenever when I was in trouble, I would look at him. I would go to the mound and, and call him over and say, Alex, what do you think we should call here? What are you seeing? Because I trusted him that much. And I just think that what happened last year in Boston with – with their manager, and we still don't know what happened. I think their injuries are going to be a little bit better. Now, I think J.D. Martinez is – they're going a little berserk on J.D. Martinez because he played in Arizona, and a lot of people are going to realize that Arizona is the best-hitting ballpark, maybe in the big leagues besides Philly, when Philly's not cold. I just think him bringing over a bullpen coach was a big deal for me. I don't think I've ever in my lifetime seen a bullpen coach take another bullpen coach job after winning the World Series. Um, and it wasn't like he resigned. It wasn't like the Astros pushed him out. He came over with Alex. So I think immediately the bullpen, that's Craig Bjornsson, is going to get a lot better. And Ron Renneke, when I played with Alex in 1997 with the, the San Antonio Missions, was our manager. And of all the people that I played with nine to ten years in the minor leagues, he was my best manager. And he won 91 games before Prince Fielder left and the whole Ryan Braun debacle. So he sort of got pushed out of Milwaukee. If you go look at his record, it was not bad after they lost Braun. He hung in there. I mean, excuse me, Fielder. Then all the Braun controversy happened, and then Craig Council took over, and, and that's that. But Ron Renneke was the bench coach with Joe Madden and Mike Sosha. So he surrounded himself with guys he's played with. Tom Goodwin's his first base coach. I just think that clubhouse is going to have so much fun and, and, and they're going to enjoy their job. And 
Alex is a National League guy. Ron Renneke's a National League guy. I think they'll run a little more to scratch out some more runs because they need to. That's one thing they're concerned. But I do think David Price holds the key. But for 91 wins in that division, I know a lot of people are on, 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 on Toronto, and I was very close. They were like my 4A because I think they're good. But the AL, the AL East is going to be very, very good this year. But I just think you're getting very good value with Boston. And my angle is the coaching staff's going to help out a ton and make those kids play looser. That is some freaking insight, man, Jeff. Like, you got your NFL totals up. You did uh, three teams you were eyeing the unders for. Yeah, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the last word, and it's gonna have to be better than what Leduca just did. And <laughs> but what's exciting is what's exciting is you have like surprising teams on that list, like some teams that most people would never bet against. Well, yeah, for the unders for sure. Um, Okay, well, look, I think it, it comes down to – I'll start with the team that no, one, that no one would bet against, and that's the Patriots. Well, last year, I bet over 14 – it was over thir- It was over 14 wins, I think. I bet – no, 13 and a half wins. I bet over. I thought they'd win a lot of games last year. And then you realize, you know what, they're just not that talented anymore. And a lot of what they do revolves around Tom Brady just being better. If you watch the first four or five weeks, zero defense. Their defense improved a little bit. Then the Super Bowl again – when you're two weeks to prepare for them, the defense didn't show up. They have no pass rush. They get a young, a young defensive lineman back from injury. They signed Adrian Claiborne. A linebacker, they get Hightower back, but the other guys can't run. They have no one that can, they can guard running backs. And they lost Malcolm Butler. Stephon Gilmore maybe had his best play of the entire season against Jacksonville in the playoffs. He was kind of subpar last year, paying all that money. You lost your left tackle. And Brady's played with two left tackles his entire career, Matt Light and Nate Soldier. You're probably going to draft a, a tackle. There's only – there's really only one tackle right now in college that can come in and be a day-one starter, and that's Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. He might be there at 31. I've seen some mock drafts put him there. Um, you now lost Deion Lewis, who went to Tennessee with Butler as well, and he's um, – He's kind of their do-all back, right? He can, he can run out of the backfield. He's a good patch catcher. All their guys have to be good uh, pass catchers. They're, they're running backs. Um, so to me, and Tom Brady will be 41. And if you watch a little bit of that, his documentary, you can tell that the end is near. You can even tell when he's playing. You know, he doesn't move as well anymore. By the end of the year, he, I think he was wearing two knee braces. He tore his thumb up in, a, in an injury um, before before the uh, the Jacksonville game, look, he played great in the Super Bowl. Five hundred yards Super Bowl. I, I think he he can still sling the rock, but at some point, man, all these defections are going to cause a problem. And partly, I can I can basically say take the under too because their their number is going to be at like twelve again. Um, and if they go eleven and five, that's still going to win them probably the East. Miami is a dumpster fire. I wrote them as one of the teams that could possibly be the worst in the NFL this year. They have no vision right now. They have a ton of wide receivers and no one to throw the ball to them. And, and no, it's a, it's a disaster down there. You know, Buffalo and New York are kind of in quarterback limbo. So the Patriots could win eleven games next year and still win the East. Um, I said that I just put the under because of how high I think their their over under will be eventually when it gets out. Um, you know, I don't see them really going lower than ten games. Maybe ten and six is the minimum for them. That's why I put them on there. But I just I just think it's 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 getting there. I think there's some friction in the facility. I think the article that was written about them is mostly going to be true. 
Um, and they are going to struggle next year. I mean, and struggle is relative, right? I mean, 11 and five for them is typically a struggle. They, they don't they don't finish 11 and five very often. Another team on there that's very popular is the Seahawks. And look, Russell Wilson can't keep doing this himself. He accounted for 37 of the of 38 touchdowns for the Seahawks last year. He accounted for over 80 percent of their total offense, you know, rushing and passing. He ran around for his wife back there. He had countless fourth quarters where he had to come back and make big plays to help his team win. The amount of weapons that have been lost in Seattle is tremendous. You watch Sherman, Richardson, Michael Bennett, um, it's, it's Jimmy Graham, Shelby, Paul Richardson. There's so many guys. They didn't bring anyone in. They've done nothing. They brought an offensive lineman, DJ Fluger, um, and that's it. They have holes all over their offensive line still. They have brand-new coaches all over the roster um, and look at the 49ers have gotten better. The Rams have gotten better. I think Arizona will still be a little down, but they're, they're in the market for a young quarterback, I believe. And I think it's over in Seattle. Dynasties are very short-lived in the NFL if you take out the Patriots and maybe the Steelers. And Seattle's ran their course, and they're not going to have the Legion of Boom back there. They are, they're going to have Russell Wilson again running for his life. Um, and I just don't see how they win a lot of games next year. Over in Seattle. That's the headline right there. I think you did yeah. okay. I, th- <clears throat> I mean, Leduca I like, came in I like the picks because here's the thing. Yeah, you it. know just as much, Chad. Who don't you want to punch? That's who wins. Whenever you're on the site or whatever you're on, you're like, ah, I don't want to punch that one. You don't want to punch Cleveland over. He wrote that Cleveland's going to go over. I love it because Josh Gordon for 16 games. You don't want to press New England under, let's be honest. So those are the type no. of games that you'd like to get the opinion on or the type of teams because no one wants to punch them. And those are the teams that are win. You know that. You sat there before and go, oh, I can't punch it, but I want to. You know what I mean? Well, I think I, I oh, just yeah. think the NFL, there's, there's, always a, there's always a team underachieves like like the Giants did last year. And that, to me, is going to be the Seahawks. There's always a team that comes out of nowhere, like the Bears, like the Rams did last year. And, yeah, betting over for Cleveland seems ridiculous. I bet them over last year. That didn't do me any good. But talking to their players, I mean, if they have a quarterback at all competent, they're very talented. I think people underestimate. And they had, they had a defense last year, a run defense that was really, really talented and was, at one point in the year, historically good. And they're just going to get better. And I like the way they're going with their GM. And, look, it's not a popular pick, but I'm okay with, with betting against the, the public. I've already jumped on him for you. I, I, bought your, I read your article, and I already jumped on, I jumped on it. I'm with you. Oh, my God. See what we're doing here at the Action Network? We're bringing people together. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> Fellas, listen. You got to take it. You got to take it. I mean, listen, sold. I mean, I, I, I like it. I think Josh Gordon is one of the top five players in the league. He is top five receivers in the league. He's a game changer. He can win you one, two, three games. I saw him with, Kishan, with, with Kaiser almost win a couple of games, Deshaun Kaiser, and they're going to yeah. get something better than that. He's right. They're going to – they're you're, you're better. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. And it's a team that no one's going to want to punch, and, and I think it's a great play. All right, boys. I think you both did excellent work for your first couple of days as members of the Action Network, and we will be bringing back pro athletes who gamble. I think there's going to be a spinoff, just your own podcast. So uh, thanks for doing this, fellas. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for having me too, Shadow.